0: Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. Just as a veil was torn in the temple, I just pray that the veil would be torn that, that hangs over our understanding. God, that even as we, um, we anxiously contemplate our life and where it's going and what we're doing, I pray that you would pierce through all those questions with your love. I just pray for those who've come here worried or anxious or fearful or wondering, that you would pierce through all those questions with your love. I pray through those who've come here tired, that you would come with your love. pray you would draw us to this singular reality that you're above all and so Lord we just pray um, with great faith what we pray every week that the Apostle Paul prayed that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place that we might actually be able to know you to be able to know what you've given us to be able to know who we are that that even the whisper of your voice this morning would um, just just silence all the questions that that we live in and around and through. And so Lord I just pray for peace God, peace to be able to sit and hear. when the when the demoniac came to Jesus, Jesus peace had to settle him before he could free him so he could hear. And so I pray for peace to hear today, Lord. We want to know you, Jesus. And I'll just pray that, God, for every person in this place, God, that they would know you, 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 Lord. In Jesus' name, said, Amen. I'm of you to alive today, feeling good, it was light, <laughs> it's raining outside, hopefully it's going to be a relaxing, peaceful Mother's Day, I asked my wife, what do you want to do? She said, as little as possible. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Mom, for being here. I love you, Mom. I had the best mother, and she loved... Oh, there was some argument in the room. <laughs> um, she, she was uh, the one who would, uh, you know, go out of her way to make our day enjoyable, take us to every park, every. Thing that we wanted to do, so that we didn't just have to have to sit around. And uh, how many of you went to Penny Whistle Park at one point? I remember a lot of memories. Um, but uh, I'm grateful for you, Mom. You you love this faithfully and passionately, and still do it. So we will pray over the moms at the end of end of time, uh, not the end of time, end of <laughs> the end of time. I guess everybody's gonna get prayer at the end. Very. Lofty language there. Um, But it just hit me when I was sitting there singing and I I felt this compulsion to come up and talk to you about this idea that there's none like him. And I heard the Lord like talk to me and he said, he said, Jordan, you've seen me. You know me. And I, I just want to say to you that if you know him, and you've seen him, you're going to discover that nothing else matters. And sometimes we lose sight of him. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if, if questions, anxiety, and worry, and doubt, and what in the world is going on in my life are loud in you, if you just know him if you just catch sight of him um i don't know it just it undoes everything else i don't even know how to describe that like see his face like moses scripture says he saw face to face and we know that he didn't literally see his face but whatever he had was that was it was a face-to-face thing. And when you have that, every, all the other things, they get silenced. So, I don't know. That's not what I'm preaching on. I just, I just want you to know that. That I want to give you faith to believe. You, you don't... Some of you may know about him. You may be thinking about how he fits into your life. I would just say give up on all of those questions and just ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And if you do that, like, you know, this is the Jesus seek you first, the kingdom of his righteousness, and all these things will be added. If you you set your gaze on encountering him, um, everything else will fall into place. Not that everything will be easy, but things will find their appropriate place. I, Jesus makes this statement that shakes me all the time. He says that, um, of the religious leaders, it says that there were many who believed him. Many. Um, but for fear of being thrown out of their synagogues, they they didn't follow him. And it says because that they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. And all of this life, like, actually, Proverbs Um, 8 describes it as two women. There's a woman of wisdom that's calling. And then there's a woman of folly that's calling. All of this life boils down to that. Do you hear the call to enjoy the delight and the affirmation of God? Or will you hear everything else that's the praises of men? And so I I just want to encourage you. If you're, if wherever you're coming from, whatever it is, whatever brokenness is, I, w- I want to pray for people even at the end of the time. Um, I just believe he wants you to know him. Amen. All right. So a few weeks ago, um, I was talking to Zane on the phone, as I do often, and, um, He uh, was mentioning this this story of Lazarus and how that it it was impressed upon his heart how slow Lazarus went, um, how slow Jesus went to meet Lazarus. And even to the point of, in the story, Lazarus was sick and Lazarus ultimately died. And, And so. It's just interesting how Jesus and the Father and the Spirit move in perfect timing. And so he was talking about it, and I was gr- agreeing, yes, 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 you know, slow, it's awesome, patience. And kind of went on to doing whatever I was doing. And about an hour later, how many of you had this happen before? It sank into me. This is a word for you, Jordan. I want you to think about this. And I began to realize that um, I have been living in this place of zeal to push what God is doing. And, And zeal is actually really important. In John 2, when Jesus comes into the temple to confront a type of worship that was exploitative to the poor specifically, and remove people from the authenticity of worship. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. It's, he quotes the psalmist David by saying, the zeal for your house will consume me. And so, like, Jesus is very affirming of zeal. Um, and I believe that God has been doing something over these last number of months that's really special both here at Clearpath and in other places. I've just noticed, like, God is just drawing people. How many of you have seen people in your life that God is just drawing, that, like, it didn't seem like it was time at one point, but it seems time that God is drawing them. And I feel that, and we've noticed that. And I really, really desire, I've, I have personally deep-burning desire more than I've ever had in my life for every person here to catch um, the, the re, catch the call that Jesus is calling us to go deeper. I, I really believe this. And I just, man, I just like, I've, I've cried tears. I've, I haven't cried this year. Just praying and believing that God would draw people deeper into his heart. And it's just like I feel like the veil over our hearts is thinner and that his love is pressing in. And I just encourage you, like, here's the zeal part of me. <laughs> I just encourage you to let the love of God into your life. Let Him shape you and who you are. And I mean, this year we've had all-night prayers. We've had times of fasting. Um, we have, you know, been we've we've been leaning in. And I feel like God has been in all of that. And I think, I actually believe that we've made the journey of faith in Christ way too much about ease and not enough about pursuing him like like when i look at the disciples' life they you know you know 11 or you know 11 out of the 12 that were apostles in acts 1 like died a martyr's death and the only guy who lived only live because they couldn't boil him alive. So that's not a very easy life. <laughs> and but and I just I think we've like relegated to the life of faith as something that we sort of understand in our mind and we hope will kind of make us a little bit better, make us do things a little nicer, make us do things a little, little more flourishing. But the call of Christ is one of zealously letting go of everything. And taking a hold of the call that he has for us. Amen. But I heard this word sink into my heart. About the patience of Jesus. And the Lord reminding me. He said you have not come to where you are. Except by your trust. Your belief. And your rest in me. I'm feeling anxiousness in my life. About manifesting God's plan. I really need for God to be able to bring me back to him. So I called Zane, back later that day, and I said, hey, dude, I think that that word was actually for me, and uh, I just, I I think it was a word for me, and I want to tell you that when you speak things, like, I'm going to notice them as something that God is saying to me, and here's a side note. Here's a little bit of a side note. If you ever get to the place in your spiritual life where you believe that it's dependent upon you hearing God and your journey with Him and not other people as well, like, you're going to miss what God has for you. And so I just want to encourage you that. Like, you need to depend on people. Amen? So there's a side point, but humility is key to unity. And when we lose humility, we, don't, we, we, we gain disunity with the body and what He's doing. Um... And so I believe that we are in a time where God is drawing people intensely. But simultaneously, he's also inviting us to be patient in the process. Like patience is something that we struggle. Most people struggle with patience to some degree. And I believe that God wants us to be patient. So three weeks ago, I read a passage. And I want to read it to you again. And I want to make some point. Uh, I want to draw us to something here. In Matthew nine thirty-five through 38, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved for compassion with them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. And what we talked about that, that week, which I think is important, is to recognize that broken people, that people who are scattered and weary, or ESV describes it as helpless and harassed, that brokenness is... Is a sign of a ripe and plentiful harvest. It's not a sign of of, of fallowness and difficultness. We often look across brokenness as a sign of difficult, you know, a difficult thing. But the reality is, is the broken are nearer to God than than anyone. And, And that's how Jesus sees. His sight is to look at the broken and see a ripe and plentiful harvest. He doesn't look and see a difficulty... And but what Jesus asks, what Jesus asks us to pray for, is that laborers will be raised up to go into the harvest. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So really easy question: Who are the laborers? We are. Yeah, we're the laborers. But this is the key. I'm recapping for a bit so I can bring you back to square one. The miracle that Jesus believes is needed here is not that the work will be easy or the work can't be done. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. But the miracle that's needed is that the laborers will be raised up and willing to go. The miracle is not the field. It's the people to go and work in the field. Amen. And a lot of times we look at the field as the thing for the miracle. The miracle is actually in us in here to be willing to be raised up and go. And so I just, that's what Jesus invites us to put our faith into, which draws me to the focal truth. He has called us to enter into the labor of God and the rest of God. He has called us to enter into the into the tension of his labor and his rest. And so I'm posing the question, how do we walk in the tension of his labor and his rest? So minor announcement here while I'm talking, Andrew and I are going to be going on a mini sabbatical. I call it a mini sabbatical because we're going to be out for three Sundays, it's it's longer than a vacation but shorter than a sabbatical. So we'll go with mini sabbatical. We're going to be out for 3 Sundays. Um, Zane and some others, John Wallace are going to preach and it will be it'll it'll be great. And God will work through that. We're actually going to be able to go spend some time with the brewers in Oxford. And so praise God for what they're doing. And like I'm I know that not everybody, <laughs> I know that not everyone gets the opportunity to do this, but we believe for us, it's obedience right now to, and we believe that we'll come back with greater rest and focus on what, is God, do, what God is doing. And so, so that's, that starts, we'll be here next Sunday, but just to give you a heads up, if you don't see us for three Sundays, it's because we're taking a break. So back to the question on labor and rest. One, one of the things that is so striking to me about Jesus is His own work and how much He limited His work. So I'm going to read to you from John 17, 4 through 9. I read from this during, I think, I don't know if I've read from this this year, but I'm going to read it to you. And I want to show you something about the work of Jesus. He says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work. This is Jesus in prayer. Sorry, this is, I'm taking an excerpt of the longest prayer that we have of Jesus and, and how he is reporting to the Father his work on earth. And he, he says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them to you, given, excuse me, for I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the whole world, but for those whom you give me, for they are yours. All mine is yours, and and yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. Okay. So I want to show you two things in the Scripture about the work of Jesus. The first thing is that he shows us a little bit about what the work is. He says, I have manifested your name to them. I have given them your words. He goes on to say in John 17, if we keep reading, he said, I have kept them in you. Jesus' work in the earth was to give away everything the Father had given him to his disciples. And Jesus never asks us just like himself, Jesus never asks us to give what we don't have. He mostly asks us to give ourselves and to give what he has given us. So, for example, I've heard people say, man, if I just get two more hours in the day, the Lord doesn't ask you to give 26 hours. He asks you to give 24, but you do need to give your whole life. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. You don't need profound words. If you don't have profound words, you don't need profound words to give. All you need is his words, but which are sometimes profound. But I want to focus on this thing. So the first thing is that his work was leading people to the father, giving away everything he had given them, but the second thing is a really key thing. He says, "I pray not for the whole world, but only those you have given me." Well, later, he shifts his prayer to the whole world, but he says for a moment, he says, "I don't pray for everyone. I'm praying for my disciples, the one that you've given me." This week, I was in a pastor's meeting, and um, they were talking. They were talking about uh, they were talking about a shooting that had happened in in Allen, and and the pastor was talking about how he did not feel moved. Um, in his heart by what had happened, and he was just repenting before the Lord for the callousness that he felt. And I was listening to him. He was just asking that the Lord would just give him a greater heart to feel for the brokenness in the world. And there was like 80% of me that was like, man, I just agree wholeheartedly. Like We need to be more broken when bad things happen. But another part of me realizes that if, if you were to try to empathize with every tragedy that happened in the world, if you were to try to empathize with everything that would happen, you would do nothing but suffer. Like if you, if, if, if you were to try to, to grieve for every bit of news, how many of you read the news still? Does anybody read the news still? If you try to grieve for everything that's happening everywhere in the world, you will not be you won't be able to do it. Like our our minds and bodies weren't created to grieve for billions of people. Like we were created to love the people in front of us. And so what Jesus demonstrates here, let me find my notes, is Jesus demonstrates universal care, but he demonstrates specific care for the people that God had given him because while he was on earth, he had a limitation of both his time and his space. It's why he didn't go to every country in the world. He went to specific people because he had, like you and me, 24 hours in the day. And one of the things that we need to recognize one of the things that we need to recognize in our work is that you have limitation. You have limitation. Jesus instructed us in a way that showed he's going to minister to a few people because he had limitation. Everybody repeat after me. I have limitation. You don't you are not an unlimited human. And so the the reason this is important is that if you aren't unlimited, you will have to decide in your life what labor it is that you will do with the Lord. There will be many things that you can do, and you'll have to choose to say no to some things. Amen? You can't say yes to everything. Jesus didn't say yes to everything. Maybe part of the reason that he went slowly to Lazarus is, is just limitation. And so Ephesians, so how do we live in a limited people? How do we live the focus on our labor and rest? I want you to see what Ephesians 2, 8-10 says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is of the gift of God. Not of the works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that, you should, that we should walk in them. So the first thing it says, which the Reformers rightly emphasize, is that you have been saved by grace through faith. Everybody say Amen. And it says that we are a new creation in Christ. It goes on to say we are His worksmanship. We are His handiwork. We are as work created in Christ. I love this picture of being created in Christ. Like when Jesus died and resurrected, He inaugurated a new creation over all the world. He came to life on the seventh day of rest in a garden. From His body being made new, the whole world is made new. And those who receive this gift... Then get brought into the artistry of his new creation. Like God is not only shepherding my life, he's shepherding the whole of creation. Um, just like Adam was created out of the dirt of the ground and the breath of God, you have been created in Christ Jesus. Amen? Your new life isn't just created by your past, it isn't just created by your experiences or your wisdom or your trauma or your good mindset or your bad night mindset or none of those things, your new my, your new life is created in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what frames you. And so here's the key. Could we pull down the... Uh, I don't know if that's got stuck up there. If uh, Here's the key, is that it says, for you are created for good works. Everybody say, for. What are you created in Christ Jesus for? You're created for good works which God prepared beforehand that everyone should walk in them. Everyone say, I am made to work. I am made to work. Every one of us have been made to work. Work is like this thing that somehow in the last 20 years of the Christian lexicon, we're like, I don't want to work, man. I just want to be here, you know? I just want to take walks on the beach and I want to be here. Um, But actually, you are his work and made for his work. You are made to work. But here's the key, really simple, is that he is leading you into his work, which he has created the works, which he has created beforehand for you to do. Does this make sense? Not my work, his work. He has created you for his work, which he has made beforehand for you to do. If you spend your life working on your work, you will be unfulfilled with your labor and you will not find rest. If you spend your life focused on your work, you will be unfulfilled with your labor and you will not find rest. You'll never have time to rest. You know what robs us from rest? It's not the work of God. What robs us from rest is the work of man. It's the work of our conception of what work we might need to be doing. To me, the greatest key to walking in the rest is doing the work of God. If I just will let go of doing the work I think I need to do and take on the work that God has for me, like rest will become easier. I won't hurry. I won't live with the fear of man. Like Jesus hasn't asked us, like I'm listening to this pastor talk about how he wants to grieve over every cultural event. I'm like, how in the world are you going to do that? We need to be people moved with compassion. We need to be broken. Like, but there's this powerful thing that I've seen in my life is that empathy emerges from proximity. You, it's, it's very difficult in the way that God made our brains for us to love that which we have no knowing of. And that's a gift to you. Because you aren't called to love all six billion people on this planet. You're called to love the people that you encounter with his love. And you're called to do the work that he's created before you to do. And if we will learn how to listen to the spirit and let him lead us into the work, we won't be constantly robbed of rest. Because if you add anything on top of what he has for you, you won't, be, you won't have enough. But if you do ex- if you just if you just learn to walk and by the spirit exactly into his work then then you'll have enough. There will always be enough. The robbing of rest is not the work of God. The robbing of rest comes from the work of vanity. I I shared this with you a week or two ago and I just like I, I am as, I'm as, uh, I'm, well, I don't want to say that. I'm, I'm really gifted at being able to imagine a whole lot of things I could go do. I can dream up a hundred, I can, we could sit all day and just dream, and I can, we can just come up with ideas, come up with ideas, come up with ideas, come up with ideas, and maybe some of them are even good ideas, but you know what that gets me? Zero. <laughs> that gets me a zero. What I need to be doing, which is what Romans 8 says, is to be a child of God, I will be led by the Spirit. And I am done trying to imagine what work I might could do, and I want to walk in the work He has for me to do. Because the tension of walking in rest and, and, and work is to walk in His work for your life. The works He has prepared for you to come into. Amen. And the work looks like, guys, the work looks like looking at a harvest of broken people and having love for them. It, like, we so complicate it and we're like, I'm going to do this thing and we're going to have this 10 year plan and this is going to create this and then it's going to go over to here. It's, gonna do this thing. it's like the Lord is like, I have people every day that you're encountering that I'm calling you to love. If you'll let me lead you into the labor, you'll have rest. Amen. So I just want to tell you, you didn't, you weren't born into this life to walk on beaches every day. You're born into this life for real labor. You've been created in Christ Jesus. Four good works that he has prepared beforehand that you might walk in him. He did the creating. He did the preparing. All you got to do is the walking. Amen. I mean, like, I don't know, I don't know how to, I'm, I'm trying to be simple today. Like, Jesus, like, didn't he doesn't get in this prayer to his father and say, He doesn't say, well, God, because of my labor, like homelessness was reduced by uh, 10% to 6% money. We've got a little bit, we've got a little more than when I started the ministry. He doesn't give an account of the results about how, you know, empire and religious leaders have a little less oppression on, on, you know, the people's lives. He doesn't give an account of any of those things. He gives an account of how he cared for the people God gave him. You can strip all of this away and I could tell you that the work he's called you to do is the work of love. It's going to look a lot of different ways, but if you can start asking God to give me the work of love, you'll find his rest because in love is his rest. But what we do is that we, we, we imagine and we do all these things That pull us away from the labor that's that's with Him. You will not give an account of the things you built, the things you saved. You're going to give an account of love. At the end of the day, you're going to stand before God... And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, on account of his grace working in your life and your willingness to continue to walk in his life of love. I want to mention this one thing. This is a bit of a deviation, but I want to mention this one thing. um, And then we'll come to the table. I'm not going to preach a message on this. But 1 Corinthians 12, it is the gift that is the chapter that talks about the gifts of the spirit? I mean, if you, raise your hand if you're familiar. Um, I want to mention to you <laughs> that this this chapter is much more about dependence upon God and others than it is about your gift. Here's what First Corinthians 12 opens with, and I I, don't, I can't like go into like infinite commentary on this. But it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, this is connected to our work, so I'll just stay with me for a moment. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you, while you were, you were Gentiles, you were carried away by dumb idols. I like dumb here instead of mute because it works both ways. Dumb idols, however you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of god calls jesus a curse and no one can say that jesus is lord except by the holy spirit there are diversity of gifts but the same spirit there are diverse differences of ministries but the same lord and they are all there are diversity of activities but it's all the same god who works in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each for the common good for the profit of all for to the one is given oh where we let's not skip that part Um, For the spirit apportions to each one as he sees fit. So, really quick, it says that while you were pagans, in other translation, it doesn't say Gentiles, it says pagans. It says you were pagans, you were led away by mute idols. If you know anything about Greek and Roman history, they had these pagan gods. Like, I think the, the one that's referenced in Acts, around 22... It's somewhere in that range of acts. I don't know it well enough, but it's the Greek god of Artemis, and Artemis is this god who is like the god of hunting, and I can't remember what else. But one of the things that people would do with these gods is they would come and they would give them sacrifices to get specific things that they wanted. They would like they would bring sacrifices to Artemis, for example, of clothing to get protection and help for childbirth. All these things. And like you would do, the worship was almost entirely related to something that we wanted to get out of the exchange of the worship. And Jesus comes onto the scene and instead of asking for a sacrifice to get something, he makes himself a sacrifice so so that God comes to man. And he says, now that I've come to you, I'm asking you to lay down everything that you think you need, you want, you whatever, and come to me. And so what Paul is correcting here is you have a whole bunch of people who are like, well, I'm not happy with my gift. He's saying, first of all, that if the, if the spirit is drawing you, if, if, if you're going to worship Jesus, it's because I myself have drawn you. And then he says, guess what, guys? I've given you all different gifts, and I'm apportioning them exactly as I know I need to. And you have to trust me that what I've given you is appropriate for God to do his work in the earth. He's confronting their notion that they need to to pray harder or make some sort of sacrifice or do something different. While they were pagans, they were led away by their own desires, their own wishes, their own whims. And they wanted to get something more so they could feel a little better about themselves. And he goes on to this whole thing about like, I've given one wisdom, I've given one knowledge, I've given one prophecy. Some he gives more than others. But he's like, you all have a place in the body. There's one baptism. You've all been brought to do one work together. And you need to trust me that the works I have for you and the gifts I have for you are enough for you to be fulfilled in me. He's confronting a pagan understanding that's relating to God by like if I can figure out the exact sacrifice, the exact amount of things then i'll then I'll get something from him, and we often relate to Jesus with the words of Jesus with a pagan understanding, and we 're led astray by it we 're asking him to do something. We're asking him to do something like asking him to take us to this other thing or, or give us. I, I wish that my gift was this, or I wish my lot in life was this, or I wish, I wish, wish. And we're, and we're making our entire relationship with God centered around whatever it is that we need or want in that moment. And it is a pagan understanding and it leads us astray into disappointment and hopelessness. And what God says is the work I've given you, the gift I've given you is enough if you remain dependent upon me and the body of Christ. Amen. How many of you believe there are lots of different gifts here? Like, we haven't been called to go all run around in our own circles doing our own separate works. We're called into one baptism, one work that the Spirit is working in us all and through us all. And and if we get a reality that, like, when Zane calls me and gives a word, like, I need to listen to the word. He's going to speak to him differently than he speaks to me. Then I start resting in exactly what God's called me to do. And I don't try to overextend. But we are led astray like the pagans by our own whims, wishes, disappointments and we're wanting God to do something that he's not going to do. Your calling isn't over there. It's right here. He's already given you everything you need. Okay, so here's the centering point of truth of all of this. If we will enter into the work He has for us, what, what Paul says is, I've made you a new creation in Christ, and, I, and therefore I have prepared you for good works which, who has prepared for you? You have prepared for you, who has prepared them for you? God has prepared them for you so that you may walk in them. If we will let Him lead us into the works that we are called to, in the body and not have to try to do the things we aren't called to do, we will be fulfilled and we will find rest. Or it will be easier for us to find rest. Many of you are robbed of rest both in your sleeping at night in the anxiety that you walk in, in the questions that you ask, in the lack of fulfillment that you have, you're robbed of rest. And God is wanting you to be willing to walk in the works He has for you. He's not looking for you to Make one more sacrifice to the idol of what you think you need in prayer. Like, God, if you just give me this. That's why when I when I when I fast, I believe that fasting is best to just to just sit before the Lord and go, God, I I don't really want to fast just for something. I just want to fast for you. And let you clear, clear the noise in my life. I, I, don't, I don't know where to land this plane. I think it's really important that we let God help us walk in our lane. And I really think there's rest in it. I really believe there's rest in just doing what you're created to do. And, this, and the unifying thing for all of us is it's a labor of love. As long as it's about sacrificing to idols to get what you want, it's not really a labor of love. You're just relating to God like a genie. Well, um, we'll just crash the plane into the building. I have two things I want us to pray for as, we, as we're coming to receive communion. As I was talking earlier about before I began the sermon, I said, "I know there's no one like him because I've seen him. I felt like the Lord just highlighted to me as I was saying is that is that there are some people in this place that you haven't seen him that way. And when you heard me say that, you're like i don't even I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to process that. Um, this will take some boldness, but I want to pray for you if, if you if you want that. And so if you heard that and you felt like, I don't know that I've encountered God that way, I just want to have you stand just as an act of faith. Second group of people, you don't know what the work, you don't know what the work of God looks like in your life. You want him to make that clearer to you. I want you to stand. Lord, I just pray right now for this, for this, for these people standing. Um, I pray that you would make yourself real to them. I pray that you would make yourself real to them, Lord. I pray that you will make love simple to them, God. That you will show them um, that walking in love with you, when we're in love with you, is like water flowing to the ocean. It's the easiest thing, yet it's a work, Lord. And so I just pray that you would help them. You would give them revelation. And I pray that you would give them the faith to pursue you for the work, for the labor. That, that, that there would be a persistency of asking you the question, God, where are you calling me to say yes? Where are you calling me to say yes? And I just feel like the Lord said that if you'll let the yes of him lead, if you'll let the yes of him lead, that the no will be easier. The no will be easier. And so, Lord, let the yes of Jesus lead just like it did with the disciples. In Jesus' name, I want to ask all of us to stand now. And we're going to receive the work of Jesus into our our bodies. Lord, we thank you for your body broken, your blood spilled out. We recognize what Paul said, um, that it is by faith, by grace, through faith, that we have been made a new creation, that we might walk in the works of God. I pray that we would have a revelation of that grace that's abundant in our life and that we would have a remembrance of the of the uh, the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. Lord we bless you and we say thank you for this meal. Everybody said, Amen. You may receive. Lord we bless these moms. We thank you for the life that they they live in you. God we thank you for the joy and the tears We thank you for the labor of love that they give these kids and our grown kids. And we just ask you that on this day that there would be a special um, grace and mercy for every mom. God, that you would give them a glimpse of your heart for them, a glimpse of your care for them. And we pray that this would be an unusual year of your favor for every mom, God. And we just say, thank you, Lord. We say, thank you, Lord, for the grace of these moms and in their in their lives, of their kids, and then our lives. And we just pray what Isaiah 60 says. We pray that we would arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We bless them in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening.